Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Well, good morning, City of Refuge. Uh, So this is our first Sunday of our Sabbath month as a church. Uh, And I hope that you all have already started kind of pressing into that. Uh, I hope you all have had a chance to uh, get one of the the Sabbath journals. So there you are in the back, as Elijah mentioned, uh, if you're looking for something to kind of serve as a guide for our month of Sabbath. Uh, As a part of that, uh, today we are continuing with our psalm series. So we are every week looking at a different psalm, psalms of praise, psalms looking at uh, different aspects of God's character. Um, Today I want to look at uh, Psalm 127. And uh, this one's quite a bit different. Last week we looked at Psalm 19, which was sort of a meditation on the glory of God and on the goodness of God's law. Uh, Psalm 127 is more of a wisdom psalm. So this sits in a group of psalms, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, are uh, a set of psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent. And they are called that because they were psalms that were used during the the travel feasts. So there were three feasts every year that Jews would travel uh, to go to Jerusalem. They would go for Passover, they'd go for the Feast of Weeks, and they'd go for the Feast of Booths. And they would sing these psalms as sort of travel songs. And they're called Psalms of Ascent because Jerusalem sat up on a hill, so no matter which way you were approaching from, you were ascending as you went into Jerusalem. And these feasts were an important part of the Jewish calendar and actually were an important part of the patterns of Sabbath, the patterns of rest that God had built into the very life of his people. So um, he had, of course, given them a Sabbath day. You all probably know about that from the Ten Commandments. Every seven days they were supposed to take a day of rest. But they also had a Sabbath year. Every seven years, they were supposed to not plant any crops. They were supposed to leave their fields fallow and just eat off whatever happened to grow. Um, They even had every seven times seven, it's just every 50 years, the special year of Sabbath called the year of Jubilee, which was really wild. We're not going to go into all the details there, but it was essentially a way for to make sure that people weren't in long-term poverty. But it was also this season of extended rest But there was also every year these feasts, and they were times of remembrance. So, for instance, Passover was remembering the time that that God passed over Israel in his judgment of Egypt. There was the Feast of Booths, one of my favorite, where they would go and they would basically build tents outside and sort of relive what it was like to wander through the desert for 40 years. All of these things that were reminders about what God had done And they were also times of rest for God's people. And so these Psalms of Ascent are sort of for those seasons. And as I mentioned, like there's a lot of different kinds of Psalms in the Psalms of Ascent. Some of them are more praise-oriented, some are remembrance. But the one we're looking at today is a, a Psalm of Wisdom, one that is supposed to be sort of meditated on, that's supposed to be teaching us something about who God is and who we are in response to that. So it's a short psalm, Psalm 127, so I'd like to read it now. So this is Psalm 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, 
eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So this psalm has sort of two big parts to it. It has the, the first half, which is this meditation on, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And then there's the same thing said about those seeking to guard the city. And then you have the second part that is all about the blessing of children. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of womb a reward. I actually think we, we have that verse in the, set up in the cry room. I, I, I think that's kind of funny. I just sort of imagine that for, you know, parents of very little kids, when their kids are losing their mind, right, they have that on the loopers, like, we promise this is a blessing. <laughs> but w- these two sections of the psalm don't seem to have much to do with each other at first glance. But I actually think that there's two big themes that sort of tie the two parts of this psalm together. And the first of it is in this idea of household, right? He starts out, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So there's talk of building up a house. And this this word for house can mean like a physical building, a house. It can also mean household, home, that kind of a thing. Here, probably he has in view the building to an extent. But it's interesting then that later on you see all this talk about the blessings of children, building a house, building it and filling it with children. And so the kind of both of these things are a part of what he's talking about here. He is, he is getting at this longing that we have to build a home, to build a house, to have a place and to have it filled with family, to have it filled with close community, having it filled with people we love and that love us. And there's the second theme that runs through the psalm, which is the theme of desire for safety. And he talks about the guards guarding the city. And then later on, after talking about children, he talks about, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, what is that about? So at the time, the gate, kind of the gate of the city, would have been the place where the people gathered. This would have been where, for instance, judgments were rendered. This would have been the place where if there was business to be transacted, you would go and you would sit in the gate and transact business. It was the entrance to the city. So this is sort of saying, in those moments of confrontation where you are facing your enemies in the gate, you are going to know you sort of have the backing of your family and the blessing of God. It's, it's this sense of safety and protection because of who God is and also because of the people that God has surrounded you with. So there's these two things, this desire for home, this desire for safety. And I would say these are two things that run pretty deep. Like when you think about what people do to try and make those two things happen, it's a lot of life, right? Seeking to build a house, a home, a place of safety, with close community. Like these are deeply rooted desires and they're good desires. They're things that throughout the scripture are affirmed that these are good things that we should want. In fact, in many ways, a lot of the blessings that Jesus talks about in terms of what heaven is going to look like fall into these categories, right? It's our final home. It's the place of final safety. It's the place where we are going to be surrounded with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this perfect family. It is 
kind of these things fulfilled. So I think they are good desires. They're not supposed to be our ultimate desires. They're not supposed to be the things that replace God. But nonetheless, Solomon's tapping into something deep in us here. But in the midst of that, he also kind of confronts. Because Solomon is wise, right? We know that about his story. Solomon knows people, and he knows what people are like. And he knows whenever we have something good that we desire, whether that's home or family or safety or whatever it is, that we're going to take whatever that is, and we are going to, like, drive it off a cliff, right? And go for it in an absolute extreme. And so what does he say? He says in verse 127, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. See, Solomon knows something about our tendencies, which is that we're going to take this desire for home, we're going to take this desire for safety, and we are going to go way off into anxious toil. And we're going to burn the midnight oil, not because we have to, but because we just desire that and long for that so much. And he says that that attitude has lost sight of something. Right? We've lost sight of, unless the Lord builds the house, we're doing it in vain. There's the sense that you are not going to thwart God's plans. You are not going to be able to go beyond what God intended, no matter how hard you work. Right? If you want to build a house and you're trying to exceed what God is going to have, you are not going to succeed. If you're trying to defend the city and God does not want that city defended, good luck. Right? There is a reminder here of the sovereignty of God and our lack of control in the midst of pursuing these things. Now, why does he emphasize this? Well, one, I don't think it's because it's somehow a call to just a fatalistic idleness. Well, I guess whatever I do doesn't matter, so why would I do anything? Right? I think you can look elsewhere in the scriptures and see, no, that's, that's not what he's saying. Right? Solomon is clear in other places. There's a call to hard work. Right? Go to the ants, you sluggard, I think he says in Proverbs. Right? Go look and see how hard they work, how they gather their food and prepare for the winter, and they don't need anyone to tell them how to do that. But... He's not calling us to idleness, but again, he's recognizing that we will turn that hard work into anxious toil. And because of that, we will begin to reject rest. And that is his conclusion. That's what he's trying to get us to recognize in this psalm. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Why? For he gives to his beloved sleep. The person that is burning the midnight oil, anxiously trying to seek after these things, seeking after that toil, what they lose is they stop receiving rest. They stop receiving sleep as something good, as something that is a gift from God. And I really like this psalm for two reasons. One, because there is this embracing of rest that is talked about here, recognizing rest, recognizing sleep as something that is a gift from God, something that God gives to those that he loves, but it also is very real about the challenge that that brings to us. You know, when I think about some of the times in the past when I have stepped into seasons of Sabbath, 
taking a sabbatical or something like that, I always go into those moments with, I don't know, it's just going to be great, right? This is going to be this wonderful Sabbath. And I, I sort of picture this sort of euphoric experience of time with God. And by God's grace, it sometimes gets there. But you know, when I first start out in that, you know what I typically encounter when I first step into Sabbath? I hit all my anxieties. I hit all of those fears about what's not getting done. I find out how much I have gotten used to being busy and how much that has just become hardwired into my evaluation of how good my day is. And suddenly I'm stopping from those things and resting and all of this anxiety and all of this toil that I have gotten used to starts to make me feel really uncomfortable. having tied so much value of what I am to getting things done, stopping makes me feel wasteful, sometimes even guilty. And that, I think, is sometimes the challenge of Sabbath. Is yes, there is a call to rest, and it's something that we should celebrate and rejoice in, but also recognize that there is something to it that is confrontational in us. You know, I think back to uh, the Sabbath year. So this call that God gave to his people that every seven years, they were supposed to just leave their fields fallow, not plant any crops. I mean, imagine that in your work for a second. Every seven years, you're just not going to go to work for a year. (laughs) What that would be like. But for them, right, think about back being a farmer. So you're going to go a year, you're not going to plant anything. No growth, no harvest, you're just eating whatever you can off the land. Then it comes to the next year, you still have to plant your crops and let them grow. And finally, you get a harvest almost, what, a year and a half, almost two years between harvests. That is an incredible call to trust in God in order to be able to rest. Now, we know now that there is some good agricultural practice there in terms of what it's doing for the land. But in terms of what God was calling his people to, the call to rest was not just a call to rest. It was a call to trust that God was going to provide for what they needed during that season of rest. And I think there's resonance with that with what we see here in Psalm 127, where there is this emphasis on understanding the sovereignty of God and what he can do and the fact that he is ultimately in control and this call then to embrace rest as something good and beautiful and something that is a gift from him and that allows us to enter into that rest because we are trusting God for the rest, recognizing that ultimately he is the one that builds the house, ultimately he is the one that brings safety and that no amount of toil on our part is going to make that any better And that we can trust that when we step back into rest, that he will provide. And I wanted to bring this reminder because we are getting ready to enter into a season of rest as a church. Right? We have kind of stepped back from a lot of the ministries that we're doing. We're not doing children's Sunday school. We're not doing adult Christian education. Community group leaders are doing different things with their groups. And, you know, I could understand someone looking in on that and going, what are you guys doing? Like, I mean, do you understand 
how much there is to do? Do you understand how many people in this city don't know Jesus? Do you know, I mean, have you turned on the news recently? Do you know how broken this world is? How much there is a need for Christians to be out doing the work of kingdom building? And y'all are taking an entire month to rest? Yeah. Yeah, we are. And it's because we are building a spiritual household here. We are building a place, not just a physical place, but a community of brothers and sisters in Christ. And we recognize at City of Refuge that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders are building in vain. And that we have a God who is sovereign that we can trust so that it is not only good, but something beautiful and a gift from him to be able to step back and rest. And that's why we're doing it. And I want to encourage you all as we're stepping into this season where there's just less activity. We're not doing fellowship Sundays. We're not having as many business meetings. I know the temptation, because I'm going to fill it too, is going to be to let whatever is the other busiest part of my life fill in that time. Right? That there is going to be a void left by this us doing less as a church. And my encouragement to you is to not fill that space with anxious toil from other parts of your life, but to see it as a place for increased time to sleep, increased time to be with the Lord in worship and prayer, increased time to enjoy his creation, to enjoy the relationships that he has brought into your life and really embrace this season as a Sabbath rest, not just for the church, but in your life as well to the extent that you're able. Recognizing that when we first enter into that, it's going to feel uncomfortable. And that's okay. <laughs> and that doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. In fact, it may be you're doing something right. But in those moments where we begin to feel that discomfort, where we begin to have those anxieties press in on us, that we would respond to that in trust, recognizing that we have a sovereign God and he is the one that is ultimately doing the building. And we can trust him to see us through our Sabbath and to make sure that we have what we need to be able to rest well. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do long for close community. We long for a place of safety. We long for places of home. And Lord, we all do face the temptation to pursue those things wrongly, to make those things ultimate things, and to just toil for our own successes, our own wealth, our own gain. So Lord, I pray that you would use this season of Sabbath to confront that in us, but on the other side, God, I just pray for our church that you would give us rest through this month of August, that you would restore, that you would give us these times of sleep, times with you, times to just enjoy your creation. Lord, make us attentive to you 
as we're seeking to rest well. And as Elijah talked about earlier, God, I pray that this would be a season of joy in the midst of that rest. We love you and give you all the praise and the glory in your name. Amen.